title of my message today is there is a price there is a price and it's important for us to understand there is a price that each of us are expected to pay there is a price now as I talk about this today I want you to understand that the price for salvation was paid by Jesus Christ and no one can pay that price the Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission for sin no one could pay that price God sent his only begotten son Jesus the Bible says in John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life verse 17 says God did not send his son to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved right uh, the book of uh, John chapter 1 the Bible says I believe it's verse number 12 it says he came unto his own and his own did not receive him but as many as received him to them he gave power or the word is right authority uh, to become the sons of God even to those that believe in his name so we understand that the price for salvation the price uh, for redemption was paid by Jesus by his blood when he went to the cross of Calvary and he was nailed hand and feet they pierced his side they put a crown of thorns on his head they they tore off the, uh, his clothes and they, he hung on the cross naked that price could not be paid by any human being that price could not be paid by any man only the Son of God could pay that price because he was the sinless Lamb of God and the price could only be paid by a sinless lamb and the only sinless lamb qualified to do that is Jesus Christ the Son of the Living God so we are grateful to him for what he has done and that is the reason why you and I can call ourselves sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus has done the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we were once enemies of God but because of what Jesus has done we've not we've now become sons and daughters of God so that price could not be paid by any man only Jesus could and Jesus did John the Baptist introduced him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and that's exactly what Jesus Christ came to do so to God be the glory that a perfect Lamb of God the ultimate sacrifice for sin was paid the Bible says he that knew no sin became sin sacrifice so that you and I will be made the righteousness of God in Christ so we did not become righteous because of the good things that we did because we couldn't do good things to be righteous uh, but we became righteous because of what Jesus did and Jesus gave us the gift of righteousness notice it is a gift of righteousness that was given to us now with all of that being said We've been able to establish that no man could pay the price of redemption no man could pay the price of salvation that price could only be paid by Jesus and he did an amazing perfect work on the cross of Calvary what was the last thing he said it is finished and the price was paid you and I have been restored back to God the Father because we've put our faith in what Jesus has done but it's important to understand that as believers today there is a price to pay that's what my message is about because you know when you talk about paying a price sometimes people think uh, 
you are teaching a works program. I'm not here to teach a works program because we are not saved by works. We were saved by grace. The Bible said, by grace are you saved through faith. It is not by works lest any man should boast. So we were not saved by the works we've done. It is not by the works of righteousness that we have done, but it is what Jesus did. So I just want to emphasize that, and that's why I'm taking the time to, to stress this, because people tend to get the message wrong when you come across with a title like this, a price to pay. What price are we to pay? Are we to pay the price Jesus paid? No. Jesus paid the price already for salvation, for redemption. That has been paid. So I want to establish that before I begin to talk about the price that you and I as believers in Christ are supposed to pay, especially in these last days. Amen. So I want to read from Luke chapter 13. I'm going to read from verse 23 to 29. And I want to read from the Passion Translation. It goes like this. A bystander asked him, Lord, will only a few have eternal life? Jesus said to the crowd, there is a great cost for anyone to enter through the narrow doorway to God's kingdom realm. I want you to take note of that. There is a great cost. For anyone, now this is Jesus speaking. I want you to understand this. This is Jesus speaking. He says there is a great cost. You can say there is a great price to pay or there is a great price or there is a great, great cost for anyone to enter through the narrow doorway to God's kingdom realm. I tell you, there will be many who will want to enter but won't be able to. For once... The head of the house has shut and locked the door. It will be too late. Even if you stand outside knocking, begging to enter and saying, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. He will say to you, I don't know who you are. You are not a part of my family. Then you will reply, but Lord, we dined with you and walked with you as you taught us. And he will reply, don't you understand? I don't know who you are, for you are not a part of my family. You cannot enter in. Now go away from me, for you are all disloyal to me and do evil. You will experience great weeping and great anguish when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob along with all the prophets of Israel, enjoying God's kingdom realm, while you yourselves are barred from entering. And you will see people streaming from the four corners of the earth, accepting the invitation to the feast in God's kingdom, while you are kept outside looking in. I believe we can understand that because that is self-explanatory. The first thing that I want you to notice as Jesus explains this is the fact that he said, I do not know you. Listen to that carefully. He said to them, I do not know you. And as you read that, what should come to mind is there is a price of intimacy. 
a price of intimacy. Notice he said to them, I do not know you. And that's where I got the first price that I believe people need to pay. There is a price for intimacy or price of intimacy. You know, I heard someone define intimacy like this. Into me, see. There's a price of intimacy or a price for intimacy. And if you think about this, I would like to use the relationship of a man and his wife as an example or as an analogy. Someone with a, with a spouse or a wife or a husband that lives in a different country. You live in one country, your wife lives in another nation, in, in, in another country. And you know with, with a relationship that is set up like that, there wouldn't be intimacy. There wouldn't be intimacy. You cannot live in one place and your spouse live in another geographical location and expect to have intimacy. Jesus said to them, leave me alone or get away from me because I do not know you. That speaks of a price that we've got to pay to maintain intimacy with the Lord. So if you live in, an, in a country or in a city and your wife lives in or your spouse lives in another city, you understand that there is no intimacy in a relationship like that. You see, the, just the hugging and the touching and the kissing and the holding does a lot to meet the other person's need. You get that now? A distant relationship does not work. You can't say you are married and deal with your spouse from a distance and then expect your relationship to flourish. It won't flourish if your spouse lives in a different location from where you live. Your relationship will suffer. It won't flourish. Don't expect it to flourish. It doesn't make sense for your relationship to flourish when you do not live in the same geographical location as your spouse. It won't flourish. Instead, what you have in relationships like that, it's unfaithfulness and infidelity. That is what you have. Because you are not there to meet the, the, the needs of your spouse. You are not there to complement your spouse. You live in a different area while he or she lives in a different area. You are not there to complement. And so what you have is nothing but unfaithfulness, what you have is infidelity. What you have is a relationship where people are not committed to one another. That's what you have. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because of what Jesus said here. He says, leave me or get away from me because I do not know you. In other words, I do not have intimacy with you. And many Christians today deal with God this way. The only time they pray is when they have a need. God has become a means to the end. In actual fact, I'll say it like it is. Many just use God. But I can tell you this, God cannot be used. But I say it 
to help you understand the, the, the mentality of so many people. Whenever they have a need, that's when they pray. When it seems as if the entire world is crashing down, that's when they call upon God. When it seems as if the enemy is about to ruin their lives, that's when they call upon God. But they never think about God when the going is good. So that's the reason why I said that they use God. But I know you can't use God. But I just have to say that way so that you would understand what I'm trying to say. So you don't have a relationship, an intimate relationship with the Lord. But when there is a need, that's when they run to God. When there is trouble, that's when they run to God. Now that to me, uh, uh, that looks to me as a relationship where one person is using the other person. If you have someone who calls himself a friend and the only time they call on you, the only time they pick up their phone and call you, it's when they have a problem. You know that that is not a healthy relationship. That person is only there to leech on you. That person is only there to use you for their benefit. And unfortunately, that is what a lot of people do today with God. They are like leeches. They are just... They're just there when they have something or when they need God to do something for them. But you've got to understand that what we have with God is a relationship. It's a relationship. It's a relationship that needs to stay alive daily. It's a relationship that must be fresh on a daily basis. It is not a one-time thing. You know, it is not something you... You, you use whenever you need it. No, it is something that you need on a daily basis because God is our ultimate need. It, God is our ultimate need. Therefore, fellowshipping with God and spending quality time with God, it's not a luxury. It is a necessity. It is a necessity that every day of our lives, we spend quality time in his word. We spend quality time in fellowship. Paul said the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. And that has to be on a daily basis. That shouldn't be once in a blue moon. That shouldn't be once in a year. That shouldn't be once in a week. That has to be on a daily basis. Basis. So our relationship with the Lord must be fresh, must be vibrant. Our relationship with God must always, always be hot. You know, think about it. You have a relationship with somebody and you just call them once in a while. And, and sometimes you, you that is being used need to come to the point where you say, look, enough is enough. I can't just get calls from this guy whenever he needs me to help him. I can't be used like this. And I, I'm sure nobody wants to be used like that. But how many of you would appreciate if a friend, someone who says he's a friend or she's a friend, will call you on a regular basis to check up on you, will come over to your house and visit with you, and spend time with you and, and take you out and hang out with you. I mean, if someone is a friend, then it means there are, there are things they need to do to maintain that relationship. Every relationship uh, will stay healthy when those involved are doing this, the necessary things 
to keep the relationship exciting. But if you don't do what it takes to keep it exciting, guess what? The relationship will go cold. You've heard this. Uh, they say, out of sight is out of mind. When someone has moved to somewhere else and you don't see them for a while, before you know it, they tend to forget you. Before you know it, they, they really, they tend to forget you. They don't think about you that much anymore because in the new place where they've moved to, they've found themselves some new friends. So every relationship requires that those involved in it will do whatever it takes. You see, that's the price to pay. There is a price to pay to keep your natural relationship healthy. There is a price to pay to keep your marriage healthy. There is a price to pay to keep your friendship with your best friend healthy. There is a price to pay. You can't say, this is my best friend, but I'm not willing to invest in the relationship. I'm not willing to say the right things. I'm not willing to humble myself before my friend. I'm not willing to give them gifts when they celebrate special occasion in their lives. I'm not, when you're not willing to do what it takes, that relationship will grow cold. So Jesus said, get away from me. I do not know you. So there is a price to pay to stay intimate with the Lord. That is very important. Daily communion in prayer. Daily devotional. I know these are basic simple things that I'm talking about this morning. But these basic simple things are in actual fact the foundation of our Christianity. These are the things that keep us. These are the things that keep us alive and keep us in revival. These are the things that keep us hot for the Lord. These are the things that keep the fire of God burning. If we don't spend quality time in fellowship with God, if we don't spend quality time in fellowshipping with His Word, then if we don't spend quality time practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Your relationship with the Lord will grow cold. It will grow cold. So number one price that needs to be paid, every believer must do this until Jesus returns, is to maintain intimacy with the Lord. I said someone defined it this way, into me, see. When you spend quality time, I tell you God begins to see into you. You are transparent, you are open, you are easy to understand. And guess what? God is also transparent to you and God is open to you. you no, know, the Bible says that he has reserved the secret things of his kingdom to those who seek him. So there are things that God will begin to reveal to you. There are things that God will begin to show you. Why? Because there are things you only show to your best friends. When the Lord was about to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and notice Abraham welcomed the Lord and those angels. And as they were leaving the house of Abraham, the Lord said to the angels, is it okay uh, for me uh, uh, to reveal this thing to Abraham, what I'm about to do? Or basically the Lord was saying, I'm not going to hide from my servant Abraham what I'm about to do. Why? Because I know, I know him. I know that he would teach these things unto his children. Abraham was a friend of God. And God said, I would not do this without telling this to my friend first. And Abraham had the privilege of learning the secret of, the, of what God wanted to do. 
That is exactly what I'm talking about. So there is a price for intimacy or a price of intimacy, which everyone needs to, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, pay this price and make sure that your intimacy with the Lord is intact. Can someone say praise the Lord? So that is the first price that I believe every Christian needs to pay on a daily basis. The second price that I want to talk about is the price of living orderly. The price of living in an orderly manner. Notice what the Lord said. He referred to these people as workers of iniquity. So a believer is supposed to order his life daily according to the word of God. Listen now. According to the word of God, that is how a believer in Christ should order his life. So the second price that I'm talking about is the price of living orderly. The price of structuring your life in an orderly manner. Now the order we're talking about here is the order of the word of God. Jesus referred to those people here in the text we read. He calls them workers of iniquity. So when we order our lives according to the word of God, guess what? We shall not be workers of iniquity. Rather, we shall be workers of righteousness. Come on now, say amen. And I believe that we need workers of righteousness in this day and time. Men and women of God that will rise up in the word of God and take God's word at face value and live out the word of God so that the world will see your, your light or your good stuff you do, the good things you do according to the word of God and give glory to your father which is in heaven. So a believer is to order his life daily Daily, notice I said daily, not weekly, not monthly, not yearly, but daily must order his life according to the word of God. To the word of God. So there is a price of living in an orderly manner or the price of living orderly. Grace is not the big cover up for sin. Rather, grace is the empowerment from God not to sin. What people think about grace is mind-boggling. They use grace as an excuse to do evil and believe God will forgive them once they pray. Now listen, we have to order our lives according to God's word. We have to order our lives according to God's word. And grace, it's not the big cover-up. You know, we don't say, oh, let's do it because when we ask God to forgive us, he will. Now, God will. When you truly repent, he forgives you. But it's also important for me to emphasize that there are things you may do that even after you've asked God to forgive you and he forgives you, you may still have to face the consequences. There are things you may do and in the course of doing these things, you might cross a line of no return. So the next time you are thinking of doing that thing, I want you to remember what I just said. There are things you may do. Yes, you will pray to God and God will forgive you. God is ever merciful. God is always forgiving. 
But you need to understand, if you don't order your life according to his word, there are things you may do. Yes, he will forgive you, but you may have to reap the fruit of what you've done. You may have to suffer the consequences of what you've done. I mean, I don't have time to expound on this, but this is true. Galatians 6, the Bible says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. He that soweth into the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and he that soweth into the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So there are consequences to the actions of our lives. So we have to be very careful and not take grace for granted. Do not take grace for granted. If you do not order your life according to the word, according to righteousness, according to what God wants us to order our lives by, then you are going to be referred to as a worker of iniquity. And guess what? If you are a worker of iniquity, you will reap a harvest. The Bible says he that sows into the wind will reap the whirlwind. So you've got to be very careful what seeds you're sowing. It's important that we understand that grace is God's ability in us to live right. It's important for us to understand that grace is God's empowerment. That grace is not the big cover-up. Grace is not the excuse. Gaining a, a proper perspective on the subject of grace is important. So that we do not think that grace is the cover-up. And so we can do whatever we want. When we pray, God will forgive us. Will he forgive? Yes, he will. But will you face the consequences of what you've done? Yes, you will. In most cases, you will. Is it possible to cross a line of no return? Yes, it is possible. Some have crossed a line of no return. When I say line of no return, I'm not necessarily speaking about not... Uh, not having God's for, God forgive you for what you've done, but it might just mess up your life forever. I mean, mess up your life, I mean, to the point where you will never be able to make the adjustments and the change in that particular area. That's what I mean by when you cross this particular line, you may never have the opportunity to return. <laughs> so when next you're thinking of doing that, I want you to remember what I just said. There are consequences and you may cross the line of no return. So make sure that you pay the price of living your life in an orderly manner. So the first price that we are to pay is a price of intimacy. The second price that we are to pay is a price of living orderly. And how do, do we live orderly? We, we fashion and we, uh, we structure our lives according to the word of the living God. And I thought someone would say, Praise the Lord. Amen. Number three, the price to pay. Number three is the price of laying aside every weight. Let me say that again. What's number three price? The price of laying aside every weight. Let me put it this way. The weight that I'm talking about are those unnecessary weight. There are things that... People take on themselves, Christians take on themselves that are unnecessary weight. And they tend to slow you down, they tend to weigh you down, 
and you do not run your race. The Bible says to run our race with patience. You don't run your race with patience. You don't run your race to... Now listen, a lot of people talk about run your race to finish. But I want you to understand that we don't just run our race to finish. We run our race to win. That's exactly what Paul said. Paul did not say, I ran my race to finish. He said, no. He said, run your race to win the race. He said, he that runneth in a race runs all, but only one gets the prize. Only one person gets the prize. Think about in a relay race or think about in a 100-meter dash uh, at the Olympics. At the Olympics. You have about eight men, eight young men. They're about to run. And when, when the guy pulls the trigger, they, 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 they run. And somebody, one person, wins, one person wins the gold medal. Not two people. One person. So Paul said, run your race so that you will win the race. He didn't say run your race so that you will finish. <laughs> A lot of people talk about finishing the race. It's not just about finishing the race. It's about winning the race. Say amen. And you see, if you run your race to win, not just to finish, that's a totally different mentality. I'm running my race to win. I'm not running my race to finish. Do you understand that? I run my race to win, not to finish. Because people think about, if you have the mentality of just running your race to finish, you're just going to manage and drag yourself into, into heaven or drag yourself across the finish line. But that's not what God wants us to do. If eight guys take off running, one person wins the prize, but somebody comes last. The guy who comes last still finishes. So the idea is not run to finish. The idea is run to win. So I want us to change that mentality. Run to win, not run to finish. Eight of them finished, but one person won gold. So what are you running to do? Are you running to just finish? Are you, do you want to be the number eight guy? Or you want to be the number one guy? I believe we should all aim to and desire to be the number one guy. So we run our race to win, not run our race to finish. Praise God. And so there is a price of laying aside every weight. If you remember the story in the book of Matthew chapter 19 verse 24, Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That is Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. But if you remember the story, the story was about a young man, a rich guy who had walked up to Jesus and said, good master, what good things should I do that I may enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus told him, you know the law. Do them. The man said, I've done these things from my youth. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. And Jesus said, go sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor. Come back and follow me. And the Bible tells us the man walked away sorrowfully. Why? Because he had so much wealth. But we can say it this way. So much wealth had the man. Because if he had so much wealth, I'm not disproving what the Bible is saying. I'm just showing you that the, the real motive uh, or the real condition of the man's heart was the fact that he was so attached to his wealth and he couldn't let go. Now, I do not want to add to what Jesus said because, you know, people say, well, Jesus wasn't telling him to sell everything and, 
and, and come into a place of abject poverty. Look, let's not even bother about that. Jesus just said to him, go sell everything you have. In other words, detach from all the stuff that you are attached to and give all you've got to the poor. Come and follow me. That's what Jesus offered him. And the man couldn't do it. That's why I'm saying to you, the man couldn't do it because the man was attached to these things. So much wealth had the man. That was the true condition of the man's heart. And that was the thing Jesus saw. And this man was not willing to lay aside this heavy weight that he carried. This heavy weight was the thing that would not let him come in to the kingdom of God. So Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter. Now, Jesus is not saying there is anything wrong in being rich. But what Jesus is saying is this man's riches and the riches of some others will stop them from entering into the kingdom of God, not because there's something wrong with being rich, but because there's something wrong in having, in riches having you. There's something wrong when riches has taken the place of God in your heart. So this man claimed to be, you know, claimed to do the right thing. He claimed to be a man who kept the law. But Jesus saw through all of that and Jesus saw the real condition of the man and said, look, this is the real condition of your heart. And until you are willing to lay aside this weight, you are not ready to come into the kingdom. If you remember also the parable of the sower, Jesus talked about four different grounds and one of the grounds that I want to focus on today is the ground where the Bible says, Jesus said the seeds fell among thorns, which represents those who are so concerned about the cares of this life and the deceitfulness. That's what Jesus said. They are so concerned about the stuff, about the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus said, because of the cares they have and the deceitfulness of riches, that is the reason why the word did not germinate. The seed did not germinate. The seed did not bear fruit in their lives. That is price number three that we've got to pay to lay aside every weight. Whatever it is that will hinder you from making it, you have to lay that thing aside. Jesus said, if, if your right eye will cost you from making heaven, then uh, it will, if it will cost you, sorry, from making heaven, then pluck out your eyes. If your right hand will, will hinder you from making heaven, then chop it up. Of course, you know, you know, Jesus is not saying you should literally pluck out your right eye or literally cut off your hand. Basically, what he's saying, that's just an idiomatic expression. That's just saying to us, look, do whatever it takes to make it. Live according to my word to make it. Cut out of your life the unnecessary stuff, all the stuff that will stop you, all the stuff that will keep you down here when the rapture takes place, all the stuff that will hinder you if you close your eyes in death and you would not make it to heaven. All of that, you need to cut them out of your life so that you can do what God wants you to do and run your race effectively. Not to finish, but to win. Can someone say amen? Hallelujah. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, I read from verse 17 to 19, it says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, 
nor to trust. Now, I want you to notice what he says here. Not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. Uncertain riches. Now, the key word here is trust. Now, Paul is speaking to his son or writing of his son, Timothy. He says, command those who are rich in this present age. Who are rich. These people are rich uh, in material things. They are rich. And there's nothing wrong in being rich. But the problem is when they put their trust in their riches. See, that's the problem. He said, not to trust in uncertain riches, but to trust in the living God. So you can trust in riches and trust in God at the same time. So he says they are not to trust in uncertain riches, but they are to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So you see, there's nothing wrong in being rich because Paul said here, God gives us uh, richly, richly all things to enjoy. So God does not give you poorly. God gives you richly. So there's nothing wrong in being rich. So I need to emphasize that because when you preach like this or teach like this, some people begin to think, oh, there's something wrong in having money or there's something wrong in having riches. No, there's nothing wrong in having money. There's nothing wrong in having riches. There is something wrong if riches and money have you. So Paul writes to his son, said they shouldn't trust in uncertain riches. So these ones here have a problem because their trust is not in God. Their trust is in riches. And the Bible makes us, makes us understand here that riches are uncertain. But we are to trust in the living God who gives us richly. Everyone say richly. Yeah, God gives you everything richly. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. And he says, toiling and hard work cannot increase it. So, we understand that God wants you richly blessed. Say it with me. God wants me richly blessed. God wants me richly blessed. That's the plan of God for you. Let no one lie to you about that. It's the plan of God for you. Can someone say amen? So, it's important we understand the price that we are talking about, number three, the price of laying aside every weight. There's nothing wrong in having riches. The problem is if riches have you. There's nothing wrong in having stuff. The problem is if stuff have you. Can someone say amen? Hebrews chapter 12, I read from verse 1. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. That's what I'm talking about. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's Hebrews 12.1. Lay aside every weight. Notice it talks about two things. Lay aside every weight. And then it talks about the sin that easily ensnares or besets people. So, But, but my focus here is... What he first mentioned before he talks about sin, talks about weight. Lay those weights aside. If you're carrying all those heavy stuff, in other words, if those things have you, basically. I know it seems as if I'm using riches here as my example, but it's not just riches. There are many other things that people are rich in that has, that has actually beclouded their sense of reasoning. They don't even see God anymore. They just see their stuff. They see their... Uh, whatever they have, all natural stuff, you know. 
It could be education, it could be your career, it could be your relationships, you know. If those things take the place of God in your life, those are rich stuff that are taking the place of God in your life. But Paul says we shouldn't trust in those things because those things are not certain. Only God is certain. And we are to trust in God and not to trust in those things. Can someone say amen? So lay aside those things. And how do you do it? Look, that's, I'm not here proposing that you sell all you have and like Jesus told the man. But if the Lord would say to you to do that, why not? But I'm here to say to you, make the adjustment in your heart. That's how you do it. How can I make the adjustment? Look, it, it, it doesn't take long to make the adjustment. The Bible says in, I believe it's uh, Isaiah 119, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. All you've got to do is be willing in your heart that these things will no more take God's place in your life and your disposition to them will change the moment you make that adjustment in your heart. That is price number three, the price of laying aside the heavy weight that's upon you. Price number four, I'll finish with this, is the price of being circumspect. The price of being circumspect. That is a very important price. And because um, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this, I would like to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to read from verse number 1. It's a, it's a long read, but I want us to see it. But I want to, before I read that, I, I like to paint a picture and explain the word circumspect. Very important. If you think about this, sometimes I believe it must have happened to you. It happened to me a few times. You try to get a glass of water and you mistakenly fill it to the brim and it's about to spill over. And you have to take that glass of water to your seat or to the table where you are having your meal. For whatever reason, you didn't get water before you sat down. Now you get a glass of water. It's about to spill over and you want to walk with it. Now, when you start working with it, you're doing it carefully because you don't want the water to spill on the floor. That's what it means to be circumspect. That's really what it means. Or you ask a child to get you a cup of hot tea and your 10-year-old child gets you a cup of hot tea. Or I mean, when they start working towards you, they're working carefully because it is hot and they don't want it to spill over. That's what the word circumspect means. It simply means, I mean, that's just the analogy I'll, I'll, I'll give to you to understand what it means. When it's so filled to the brain and you just walk carefully. So there is a price of being circumspect in these last days. So go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read from verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 5 from verse number 1. I'm going to read this from the New King James Version. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for his sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coerced jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, what are these things? The things that I just, the Bible just listed above. 
Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. See, now you see what I was saying earlier on. There are things you do. You ask God to forgive you. Yes, he does. He forgives you, but there are consequences. You know, there are consequences. The Bible says here, let no one. I want to read that again. Verse number, let's see that. Let's see. Verse number six, let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one tell you that it's okay to do these things, God is merciful. It's okay to do these things, God is gracious. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Those are empty words. For because of these things, because of the, that's what I'm talking about, the price of being circumspect. We have to be careful. We have to walk carefully at this time. So let no one deceive you because many will try to deceive you and tell you it doesn't matter. It's okay. God is merciful. But no, Paul said, the word of God says, let no one deceive you for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So if God is going to judge the sons of disobedience because of these things, guess what? I think it is God's justice to also judge other people who call themselves Christians and do the same things. Don't you agree with me? That's why the Bible says, let no one deceive you. That if you are found doing these things and you've made these things a part of your life, that's a, it's a totally different thing if someone falls into these things. But notice it says, verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Don't even talk about it. This shouldn't even be part of your life. This shouldn't even be in your congregation. This shouldn't even be in your family. This shouldn't even be in your relationships. This, this thing shouldn't even be in your life. It says, let it not even be named. Let me find this in the Amplified Classic. Maybe it's going to bring it out. Uh, it's going to expound more on it. It said, but immorality, sexual vice, and all impurity of lustful, rich, wasteful living or greediness must not even be named among you as is fitting and proper among saints, God's consecrated people. Let there be no filthiness, obscenity, indecency, nor foolish and sinful, silly and corrupt talk, nor coerced jesting, which are not fitting or becoming, but instead voice your thanksgiving or thanksfulness to God. For be sure of this, that no person practicing sexual vice or impurity in thought or in life or one who is covetous, who has lustful desire for the property of others and is greedy for gain. For he, in effect, is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one delude and deceive you with empty excuses and groundless arguments for these sins. For through these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of rebellion and disobedience. So do not associate or be sharers with them. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Lead the lives of those native born to the light. Can someone say amen? 
So in these last days, we must be circumspect, careful as we work. We, we can make excuses. We see what the word of God tells us to do and we live by God's word and there is grace to do so. But when people begin to make excuses for the things they do, I, I, I saw a guy who told me this was many years ago. He said, I'm going to tithe. And once I tithe, uh, my, my filthy, unclean, uh, because he's made his money illegally, he said, my money will be cleansed. No, your money is not cleansed because you tithe. If you've made, your, if you've made money illegally and you think if you go to church and tithe, that you know, the tithe will cleanse the 90% that's left, that's not true. The Bible says, honor the Lord with your substance from righteous labors. That's what the word of God says. With your substance from righteous, righteous labors. And with the first fruits of all your increase, so shall your barns be filled with plenty and your vats shall overflow with new wine. But notice, it is your righteous labors, not your unrighteous labors. So don't think if you, because this, these are the kind of excuses you hear. And people make these excuses and, and they say it's okay. But it's not okay. See, that's when you're not living uh, uh, or you're not paying the price of being circumspect. You, people move in with their, with their wives, I mean wife-to-be, a husband-to-be, live in the same house and, and do everything a husband and a, and a wife does yet they are not married, and they say, oh, but I want to marry him. I want to marry her. It's okay. No, it's not okay. The fact that you want to marry the person does not give you the right to move in and start living with the person. That's what the Bible calls sin. And that shows that you are not living, uh, you're not paying the price of being circumspect. You are not being careful. You're not working carefully. Amen. So this is what I have for you today. I, I, I'm sure it's a blessing because we live in such a time where people make all kinds of excuses for the way they live their lives. No, we shouldn't make excuses. We should be honest with our lives and we should say to the Lord, look, if there is a struggle, then say to the Lord, there is a struggle. But there is grace to live for God. And I pray that as you would begin to make that adjustment in your heart and in your mind today, the grace of God will be profusely poured out upon you. Amen. So there is a price to pay. Tell your neighbor there is a price to pay. Number one price, the price of intimacy. Number two, the price of living orderly. Number three, the price of laying aside every weight. And number four, the price of being circumspect.